If you've been uh, following my podcast a bit, maybe you went back to episode one to listen, you will hear me talk about the phrase third culture kid, and I incorrectly attributed that phrase to Dr. Ruth Van Rieken. She is not the one to coin the phrase third culture kid. It is Ruth Usum. And she is a pioneer that Dr. Ruth Van Rieken had the pleasure of getting to know and talking about to set the record straight with me when I talked to her back in June. And I remember back when I started the podcast in April thinking to myself, hmm, it would really be great to have Dr. Ruth Van Rieken on to the podcast. Well, she's here. <laughs> she is here, ladies and gentlemen, changing and boosting another TCK heart. That would be mine. I believe in the world of TCK's Third Culture Kids, she needs no introduction. She wrote the book Third Culture Kid, Growing Up Among Worlds, co-authored with David Pollock back in 1999. It is on its third edition, spanning a multitude of generations at this point. She started Families in Global Transition. She is on the board of SPAN, an organization providing framework to help kids transition from one international school to another. She is the mentor and friend of an endless army of people supporting the expat community. There probably isn't a more important pioneer when it comes to figuring us TCKs out. I was tempted to cut out her interview of me at the beginning, but it just goes to show the immense character this woman has and how she has carried herself over the course of a very full life. The many people I've talked to over the last several months all have the same thing to say. I felt myself suddenly valued and cherished, and we've never met. It's been life-changing. I hope you enjoy our conversation a fraction as much as I did. Are you living or coming from a multicultural or cross-cultural journey in this life? Have you lived abroad for an extended amount of time? Have you married into another culture or are a product of a bicultural relationship? Hello, I'm Mike Sullivan, and this is my TCK podcast, where we answer ridiculous questions like, where are you from? Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm super. Good. I'm I'm doing really good. Thank you so much. Sorry, I'm I almost missed the the ten o'clock deadline. Because we're on different times. This Yeah, kind of. After the daylight savings, I almost missed the meetings the other day because they hadn't changed and we had changed and right. yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it made it very confusing because Europe changes differently differently than the US and then Turkey doesn't change at all. So, <laughs> well, and the Central European time that somebody had sent me as a thing it had always been four hours. Uh, and somehow at the last minute, I looked, well, they don't change either. 
Yeah. So I was supposed to be there an hour sooner. And I don't know how at the last minute I either noticed something or I just double checked something. I thought, seven. It's not seven, it's eight. And so it was a bit of a scramble. The one that really threw me for a loop was Afghanistan. So I did a presentation for a bunch of Afghan girls who are part of an organization called Girls in the Path of Change. They're all trying to get their education secretly online. And the girl who runs it, she's 18 years old. She's an illegal immigrant in Pakistan. Her name is Rabina. And so I'm I'm there 30 minutes early wondering where this thing is at because the, oh. the time zone goes by by uh, 30 minutes. There's a few countries like that. I panicked at first and then I looked again and I thought, oh, I didn't look at the minutes. Two and a half hours ahead of us here. It's all become much more relevant after COVID. Right. Since we're all doing these crazy <laughs> yeah. global conferences that I guess we could have done it before, but none of us knew it. So we didn't do them. Right. I think the hardest thing with COVID was feeling like I suddenly had no separation between my lives. Oh, um, yeah. Everything was here. And I used to have, you know, I'd get up in the morning and I'd have my coffee and read the paper and do my email. And then around 11, I'd get dressed and figure out what the day was, and, mm -hmm. you know, go out. And then if you're traveling, you're in a different life. But um, now the day always starts early, often with a Zoom to someplace because maybe in Asia, somewhere. Yeah. Most people, yeah, or in <laughs> Europe or Asian or somewhere. Yeah. And um, so suddenly I lost my mornings. And then by the time it's afternoon, you don't want to do anything <laughs> or you can't really get going. I don't know. There's something about clearing out email or I guess afternoon is nap time, but it just feels like you kind of lost your day a little bit. So your wife is in the Philippines. Is yeah. that what I remember? That's right. My wife is uh, there in the homestead with my four children and my grandchild and everybody else that's in and out of our universe in the Philippines. So, so why is it you're in Turkey instead? Or are you going to go back? Or is this permanent? Or No, this is actually, this has been an amazing situation. I'm a, a fellow in a English language program. It's sponsored by the U.S. Department of State Education okay. and Cultural Affairs. They send us to a random part of the world. We don't really choose. I mean, we could deny it and, and pick another one, but or they'll pick another one for us. But I was given Turkey last year, and then they invited me back for one more year, and then this is it. We're basically done. We have to continue on with our regular life. I mean, I don't have one, but... I was going to say, what is your regular life? <laughs> yeah, that does not describe mine, which is why I'm writing a book, I suppose. I will be back home again. I was back home with my family for two months, um, and then I'm doing mm -hmm. it one more time. So we decided that that was best. What kind of work have you done before? Well, I I was in the U.S. military for 12 years as a telecommunications specialist. I started out as an entrepreneur doing micro business in the Philippines. I failed. I started teaching English to feed feed my family. Then I went back into a technology startup, put all my eggs in one basket, failed at that, moved to Korea, got two degrees. Now I'm basically an English language expert, but I'm, I don't think I'm an English language expert. 
I think I'm an intercultural or cross-cultural connector, and I'm mm -hmm. able to navigate a classroom in the English language industry in a way that other people cannot. And I'm sure if I talk to other TCKs, mm -hmm. that that would definitely be the case as well. So, so do you enjoy it? Oh, yeah. I, I don't really like teaching English. Probably shouldn't be recording that, but... I really enjoy the opportunities that it's afforded and the relationships that it has brought into my life. And I say I don't like teaching English, but I'm successful at the encouragement part and the courage part. Getting students to have courage to make mistakes, stand up. I did impromptu speeches today in my classes, and, and that would have never happened a month ago when I first met them. And so that that kind of progress is the stuff that I specialize in, but I'm I'm not really into like dotting the I's and crossing the T's of of English, even though I'm a competent communicator and writer. So what kind of job are you gonna look for when you go back? It's a good question. There's been a lot of thoughts. I've been spending some time thinking about that. Anywhere from going back into some sort of ministry associated with being a chaplain in hospitals or prisons. I've thought about finishing my PhD in either linguistics or a doctor in ministry. I've thought about trying to start an NGO, working with marginalized girls in honor of a person that I lost in the earthquake. Her name's Fatima. She ran an organization sponsored by the U.S. Mission here called Be the Voice of Girls. She did a really wonderful program and it was just earth shattering uh, to lose her. I made a choice that I wasn't gonna travel this spring. Oh. Uh, I think that travel got really, really hard the last year. Mm. And I don't know if it's me or if it's travel, because I went to Thailand, I came home with pneumonia, so that was a problem. Yeah. And uh, all that, but it, it seemed like every trip was some kind of disaster. I mean, even I came back from Texas, it wasn't a disaster, but it's seven and a half hours of waiting because the plane that was supposed to come in and take us out got hit by lightning. Right before land or something. And so it had ruined the tail. So now we have to all stand in line again or yeah. you know, get rerouted. And, and, you know, coming back from North Carolina a few months ago, you, some rainstorm was in D.C., so they couldn't get that plane out. And then all the people's time frames ran out. Mm -hmm. So I'm sleeping. I mean, everything was on fine until that happened. And then I'm sleeping in the chair by the desk for the morning hoping i can get out i think i think i'm getting too old to do this <laughs> it's like mm. this is you know it's just like every trip mm. had some complication and it never used to feel that way you know you'd go you'd be pretty confident you're going to get where you're going to go i was on a plane to idaho i even got on the seat and i thought okay this time we did it fine we make an announcement we have to disembark because Something's the matter with the brake system. We don't want to fly with a bad brake system, but, you know, and, and the people that I was going to speak for had booked me. I always go a day ahead because I don't trust. I like to get there and 
feel what I'm supposed to be doing in the first place because every group is different. Mm-hmm. But these people had been kind enough to book me, and they probably wanted to save my day. So they booked me in the morning, and I had an afternoon. Uh, and also they were Idaho, so they were behind me. So I'm sitting there watching my watch thinking, well, hope they're having a good time. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. I don't know what they're doing. They're doing something. Right. <laughs> I thought this is getting crazy. I mean, it's just like one yeah. thing after another. And yeah. So, but also, this one's retiring this month. So I thought, you know, we probably should do just figure out whatever life transition. I can still do Zoom. It, you know, it's not like eliminating my life because of Zoom. Right. But it it's more taking a break and just saying, all right, at this point in my life, what. You know what I want to do. I don't want to lose the rest of my life and not see my grandkids. I see my grandkids. So I make that a priority. But just figuring out yeah. how does life? When you're talking generationally. I didn't do this part before, mm, right? You know, yeah. We you don't get practice wrong. But our parents both lived into their 90s, so we have a great mm. we have a great example of people who lived well until the end. So it's not that. It's just mm. figuring it out. So. Yeah, I agree. And of course, I'm watching my parents. They're they're similar age as you. And they, in my opinion, are too busy because, you know, I'm worried about their health and about... But my mom has emphasized this, that living means, you know, we are doing and we are continuing to have activities that we enjoy, that we aspire to. And and we don't plan on stopping that. <laughs> So I'm like, well, I'm not going to stand in your way, mom. You know, I don't want to stand in the way of you enjoying your life just because we want to keep you around longer or whatever. And I think the iron, it's not irony, but the dichotomy or the, I guess it's paradox. paradox. Thank you. Yeah. The paradox is that indeed that probably keeps them alive longer is that they are doing and continuing to do the things that they enjoy. And of course they are now great grandparents so on both sides my sister and i so we're not that yet yeah we could but we're not actually when you said that you didn't make it to chiang mai because you got sick you didn't make it to the itck conference i suddenly saw a picture of you on screen in the background uh just a few days ago and so it kind of clicked i was like oh well that's why she was on the screen (laughs) <laughs> yes, I was. It was so weird because I was watching from this TV screen, and they're right below me. Mm-hmm. I kept thinking, if I could just get out of the screen, I could join them. It was just such a weird feeling because right. I was close, uh, but fairly far. I just I had diverticulitis, and my yeah. husband, my cousin, had just had his rupture, so it wasn't like I was sick, sick, sick. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I had a lot of pain. But he has had just ruptured a few months ago and he went into sepsis and mm. he just died a couple weeks ago. He was in yeah. a coma for eight months. So, you know, you're thinking, I really don't want to go to Thailand and have a ruptured diverticulitis right. because that would not be healthy. Right. And I don't know what, what, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a grueling trip as you know, from yes. all the trips you've taken. Yeah. My parents said that they're not coming, you know, again, <laughs> they, they made sure it better be the other way around. So yeah. Yep. How old are they? Yeah, uh, I think they're a bit younger than you. So, I mean, when you talk about travel, it sounds a bit hardcore, to be honest. Because my parents are just like, yeah, we're, we're kind of done with that those 14-hour flights and 
I mean, I may change my mind or if my husband start traveling with me, because I've always traveled by myself for all these conferences and stuff. And so, I mean, that could change, but I just thought, you know, I, I have a surgery coming up. I have a hiatal hernia, which, you know, it's like everything I've been healthy my whole life. And all of a sudden I'm falling apart, um, which is probably also. So, you know, I don't know. I'll find out Thursday when or if the surgery is. So it's yep. like, you know, just take a little break, find out what happens with life. You haven't done this before. Mm. Um, my kids are also the same issue, particularly one daughter. She thinks I, you know, Mom, every time you travel, like, we don't know if you're coming back or not. One night I was in, in Chiang Mai a few years ago, and I think I wrote, I went to the airport and yeah. I threw up those lanterns. Well, that was a night and a half. So I wrote my husband. I said, I'm going by taxi down to Bangkok. Well, he thought I was dead because somebody had just been murdered in, I don't know if it's Turkey or some tourist who'd just gone in the wrong place or something. Uh-huh. He didn't realize this was the taxi driver that, the group that I had been with had had drive me different places. So we had called him to see if he could get me down to Bangkok. So, you know, I didn't feel afraid. Mm. Except it was the middle of the night and I kept hoping he'd stay awake. But um <laughs> Yeah. I was thinking this this shouldn't be happening, you know, because how does it my well I was going through some abstract airline through China to get back. I don't remember how it works, but they never like sent me a notice that the flights were canceled that night. Mm-hmm. And so it was a bit of a shock. Yeah. At least. So anyway, it's fine. It's yeah. just that it just feels I've you know been traveling for years. Mm-hmm. It just feels like suddenly it's it's hard. That's all. It just feels hard. Right. And uh, you know, so I thought okay, we'll take this time and like last night, I went to my daughter's. She plays the piano for choirs at the school. Mm-hmm. And so they had their little Christmas program. And I thought, well, it's nice to be here and just drive out here and just say hi. Yeah. So, because those are the things you miss when you travel. Somebody has a game or they have. Right. I've been to a lot of them. I try hard, but, you know. Yeah. No, I do know. I was in the military and I, I married somebody who can't easily get a visa to the United States. And then also mm. we've got naming issues with my kids. We have, we've had a adopt fight with adoption processes with my children because uh, I married a widow with three children and then mm. we had a fourth child. And so we've had so many ups and downs that I'm sure. Yeah. It's just been, it's, it hasn't been a situation where I could just fly home so I've I've missed a ton of deaths in my you know both sides of my parents' families, cousins. Um, every single one of my my sister's kids' births, I have never been around, and she mm. had nine children. <laughs> so, yeah, so I missed nine, except one. Her adoption, her adoption of a fifteen-year-old girl, my niece, my niece Sonia. She adopted from St. Petersburg, Russia. I was able to fly to Russia uh, to t- help take care of my nieces and nephews while my sister was doing the adoption process because my brother-in-law had to go back home to work. Sonia's in her 30s now, so it's been a while.
I have talked to so many of the people that have been in and around uh, your work. Mm-hmm. I had Megan Norton on just last week. We talked for way too long for recording purposes, but you wrote the foreword to her book, Belonging Without Borders. And so we had a, you know, a discussion about her book. So, yeah, I've basically just, I've kind of been trailing along a lot of these people who are been in your wake. Do you believe in visions? Sure. Um, yeah, of course. Somebody said to me recently, you and your visions. And I thought, oh, you know, but anyway, it's a time that was this you know, train wreck that had um, fall. I mean, this train had fallen over. It was on its side and everybody's inside and trying to get out and they're all panicked. But the windows could only be open from the outside. Mm. And I'm sitting there looking at the train wreck in, in its vision. And behind me, there's all these people getting ambulances and blankets. Or get, you know, they're trying, they're getting ready to take care of them, but the people are still trapped. Mm-hmm. And so I felt, you know, that my assignment was just go open the windows, get the people out, and the other people will take care of them. I mean, you know, just get them out because they're going to die if you don't get them out. And so I have felt all these years my job is to open windows and then these other people grow it. People like you, you know, you can do a podcast. You can grow it way past where I can. And the same thing, you know, Megan can write about belonging and Span can, you know, do their thing with uh, school transitions. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I, I, I think that's been the joy of my life mm-hmm. is um, I don't have to do it all. I can't do it all. Mm. But if you can cast a little vision or just say, well, here's the problem, then other people kind of figure out, well, that I could do this little thing and that little thing. So watching our community grow and particularly like at the ITCK, you know, I thought it's incredible. Here's a whole auditorium of people, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. that are all care about this and have come to understand they are. When Dave Pollock was doing it, people didn't even believe there was a topic. Mm. his beginning days mm. you know so um, I was sorry he wasn't there or Norman McCaig who started Global Nomads because I thought in a way both of them gave their lives for it as far as mm. stress and and uh, really working hard financially and uh, both of them died within just a couple of years of each other and um, so their dream happened mm. but they didn't get to see it so I'm hoping they're seeing it from somewhere else. There's a, a new generation of TCKs and dealing with right. issues that, you know, the next level of issues. Well, like your children. Yes, my children. Because they're, they didn't just uh, have a life like I did where you, you know, go to school in English, your parents speak English, you go home to your English, and I spoke Hausa, but... That was a social language, mm. you know, for my friends and playing, but it wasn't ever what I had to study in. Mm. Or I had to, my home was the same base culture as, you know, my schooling. And, yeah. And, well, you know, the, we still had our questions of identity, but I see the original TCK model as kind of a petri dish where you can look at what does, mobility, cross-cultural mobility due to a person's developmental process. Mm -hmm. But then when you add all the next layers, you know, it's not that it changes that beginning layer. That beginning layer is there. 
it just gets more complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that I don't, you know, what I'm trying to help people understand now is we've got more factors to look at. You can't just, the TCK profile as we did it is probably basically, well, as Dave Pollock is fairly intact as a baseline. Mm-hmm. But it's not, Totally line like your kids have, are cross culture, but maybe they grew up in the Philippines pretty much, so yes. they might not have had the mobility. Right, but they've got the mobility between parents, maybe, or if your kids, if you're the second dad, they've got a mobility between who our father was, and now we have a new culture because we have a new dad, and so there's there's all these factors. And I guess if I was going to live long enough and what I believe the next generation will have to do is say, how do we sort out the complexity or how do we give space for it? Because if people only look at it in the traditional model, Mm -hmm. it's not enough. It doesn't mean that the traditional model wasn't a good baseline. It means that there's just so many more factors now. Sure. Um, People say, well, what, how does internet happened in effect well that's one factor but a lot of it is much more the cultural complexity of today's kids mm-hmm. and they're very complex many of them <laughs> <laughs>